Welcome to TribeCast. I am Forrest Walden, founder and CEO of Iron Tribe Fitness. And on this podcast, I am going to help you find your tribe and maximize your life. Welcome to another episode of TribeCast. Pumped this morning to be in Atlanta with my friend Casey Graham. Casey, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Forrest. Well, I say welcome to the show, but I'm in your <laughs> office with your equipment. So. I know. Hopefully it works. <laughs> yeah, I hope so, too. But really excited about the conversation today. You and I go back yeah. many years. Uh, in fact, I think the night I met you uh, was at an Infusionsoft conference, 2010, I That's believe crazy. it was. That's crazy. Yeah. So going on close to 10 years now and I have been able to observe you at a distance you're over in Atlanta friends on social media but you are the epitome of the serial entrepreneur but I also admire the way that you do it the culture that you build the family that you have how intentional you are so you really exemplify the type of guests that I want to have on this show so excited you carved out some time for us thanks man All right, so uh, introduce yourself to the audience, who you are, uh, how you got to where you are. This is not your first rodeo. No. And uh, just give us a little background. Okay. Um, Casey, my wife is Casey as well. So if I say Casey did, said this or Casey did that, uh, I'm not, not talking to third, third person. person. I've forgotten to do that before. People are like, this guy is a freaking loser. Um, and so, man, I guess the really short version um, – you know, I've got my wife. We've been married almost 15 years. Uh, two kids, uh, Darby, she's 12, um, just type A, go gets it, uh, entrepreneur type personality. And my son is uh, the total opposite. He's gauge. He's eight. He's giving him a stick and a fishing pole, and, and he's good for, you know, hours on end. And so uh, it's fun having, uh, you know, that and, and the things we experience together. So that's at home. Uh, at work, I'm a CEO of Gravy. Um, we are, uh, we started this uh, company, uh, it's been almost uh, two years ago. It seems like it was yesterday, uh, but you know how the time just ticks Absolutely. by, right? Especially in startup mode. Startup mode, that's right. And so, um, you know, being two years in, um, it's it's been fun. We have 33 people. Um, uh, as of today, we just welcomed a, a new person today, 33 full-time, and we have some handful of contractors. And uh, what we do is we recover uh, customers for subscription-based companies. Um, that's the simple version. And um, that, that's fun. Um, I how I got here um I was actually started my career as a pastor <laughs> in the church world. Yep. So the reason I moved from Birmingham where you live to Atlanta was to help start a church. And uh, the church was a startup, so I mean it made sense. Now looking back, I was attracted to yes, it was church, and yes, I was a pastor, but really I was a part of a startup that just was helping people, you know, in general. And so uh, I did that for five years. And what uh, was your role there? Uh, I, it was the get crap done pastor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for real, like mm-hmm. there wasn't, there wasn't. Uh, it was just like three or four of us and some people meeting in a, in a school. And so we basically I started as an intern in the student ministry, um, and then I, by the time I left, I worked myself up to being uh, the CFO, which it, I really wasn't a CFO. I, I just knew how to raise money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's what I did. Which is not a common skill in the church. It's not. Yeah. And so, but that's what uh, got me out of the church is that I don't, I've always been an entrepreneur. When I was seven years old, I asked, I, I got my first job picking weeds at the neighbor's house and, you know, at, in college at Sanford University uh, in Birmingham, where, where you're, you're at, I started a business with our mutual friend, Josh Rhodes, mm-hmm. and uh, it was called College Loadout. And we focused on loading sorority girl stuff out of their dorms in the 
summer and bringing it back so their dads didn't have to move it. And so I say that to say the serial entrepreneur thing is as I look back, I can see I was just always been an entrepreneur. And so uh, I started over the last, the short version is over the last 11 years, um, I've started, grown, and then exited three businesses, and uh, Gravy would be uh, the fourth. And so I I know of at least one you had a very successful exit from mm-hmm. where you build a subscription revenue in the church space. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, and so you've done that multiple times now. Right. With Gravy, um, t- you yeah. briefly talked about it. I'm even maybe not crystal clear on what you do, but you're mm-hmm. recovering uh, delinquent payments for subscription-based businesses. Yeah, so so there's two types of churn. There are people that this called voluntary. A voluntary churn is forced. I just don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't use it. I don't like it or whatever. And there's no contract involved. And I just, I just want out. I just want to quit. Then there's the bigger one where we're focusing mostly on is involuntary churn. And that's when there's something that happens with their payment. Um, their credit card declines or there's a payment issue for, there's 200 different reasons. But there's about three that, you know, it's either insufficient funds or there's a bank hold or there's fraud or there's an administrative error on they moved in an address change. But about 10 to 12 percent of credit cards on file fail every single month in subscription based businesses. That's a lot of money. Yes. And most entrepreneurs, as you and I know, and and kind of how I've been wired my whole career is focused on the front end of the business on sales and marketing because it's really hard to get people to pay you money. But at the Rocket Company, the previous company to this, we had this issue because it's it's not it's not a bigger deal when you have like a gym because I mean it is if it's like $15 a month and you don't know everybody right but in your situation it's a little bit different Mm -hmm. but for the companies we work with the average transaction size is about 99 bucks a month so they're not staffing up to have personal relationships with people that pay $99 a month it's a subscription you know and so uh, I had this issue at the rocket company and we had a quarter two priority and I remember it was like why are we losing so much money out the back door let's fix it we put leadership involved we put money toward it. We built systems around it. We used technology and people, and we t- went from a 15% recovery rate to 85% recovery rate. Wow. And I just thought everybody would do that. Like, why would you not do that? So after we sold the company and I didn't have anything to do for 14 months except for try to figure out what I was going to do, which is miserable, by the way, which I want to talk about. And, and I remember we had lunch during that process we did. when you were trying to wade through what's next. It's and the worst season it, of all. Is it real estate? Or is it, you oh, know, my gosh. Yeah. I did. I did try. I tried 13. I tried 12 ideas in 14 months. <laughs> gravy was the gravy was the 13th idea. I love it. That's so cool. <laughs> well, it wasn't. It was miserable. <laughs> but but the, the point is what gravy does now is that we are the system and the technology and the people. We are the department that comes into these large subscription-based companies from publicly traded companies all the way down to small businesses. We have different sectors that we go after, and we we do that for them, and we do that on the behalf of them, and we treat their customers with empathy and consistency. Um, we People say, are you in collections? No, this, these people don't owe money. They're making a buying decision, and so we are just the first people on the spot within minutes when the credit card fails. You've seen my, these people. Yep. They're smiling, happy, positive, fun people that are saying, hey, let's get your subscription back online and we win people back to, you know, and then customers back. And what makes it a no-brainer is that we only get paid off of the first month of subscription. And then the customer gets to keep all of the lifetime value. Oh, wow. 
So that's what makes it a unique offering. So we start over every month. Total value proposition. You can't lose. Yeah, that's great. Um, The thing I love about it is, you know, a a mutual mentor of ours, Dan Kennedy, used Mm. to always say there's riches and niches. Yeah. Um, And you have found a niche. And it sounds like the way you stumbled upon it is because it was a pain point you had. For me. So then you said, if that's a pain point for me, I'm sure it is for others. And I can solve this. Yeah. I was just talking. One of the things I've learned about finding ideas is just ask questions to Mm -hmm. other entrepreneurs. Like if you're going to want to help other businesses or other people in general, and um, all you need is one problem. It's true. <laughs> I need one problem. You know, it, I was talking recently with another mutual friend of ours, Jim Caval. Yeah, he, yeah. he just traveled around and started talking to ADs about what their biggest issue was, and it led to the development of his SaaS product, Influencer. So it's, figure out what the problem is and solve it, right? Um, well, I, I, uh, I, I want to give you a compliment. Okay. And I think I've told you this before, <laughs> but I think you are, as a CEO of anyone that I've been around, more secure in your weaknesses <laughs> than any other CEO that I know of. I mean, you really know what you yeah. bring to the table and what you don't. You're super clear about it. Yeah. You delegate all the things that you don't. And I know there's an art to that. Mm-hmm. It's not delegate and right. advocate, right? right? So tell me maybe how you got there and then how that really um, yeah. empowers how you lead this team. Yeah, like I don't own a computer. You know, and people were like, what, what do you mean you don't own a computer? I start with that to say, anytime me, I'm not saying for everybody else, but anytime I'm on a computer, I'm not doing my job. Because what I'm really good at is relationships. I'm good at relationships around getting new team members in. I'm good at relationships of getting um, investors, board members, mentors, learning, all of that stuff. And so like the biggest part of my job is building relational equity in the world. <laughs> and a lot of people see that as like, so what do you do? That is what I do. Mm-hmm. That's It's what I do every single day. And the reason you do that is that when you build those chips and the relationships and you invest in people, over time, you call some of those chips in. You know, when we needed to raise money, it, I sent five text messages and raised a million dollars literally in an hour. Wow. But it was because I've spent three years connecting with people and asking people questions. And so um, I'm hyper-focused now on only doing what only I can do. I have been even in the past, but I'm just, and this isn't like self-deprecating, I'm just really not that good of a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I'm not. Um, I'm good at vision, motivation. I'm good at clarity. Where are we going? Like, I'm I'm good at that. Um, I'm good at the relational side. Um, Outside of that, at sniffing opportunities, I can sniff opportunities. So my current like Q4 focus, all I'm focusing on is going, what's the next million dollar opportunity that's inside or adjacent to our business that would not cost us any more staff members to implement? Mm-hmm. So again, just that's the kind of stuff I sit around and think about. Mm-hmm. I draw in my journal at Starbucks. Everybody in the staff makes fun of me. They're like, oh, Casey's at the lab because I won't be around the office a lot. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I'm doing that. And so that's what I'm good at. And, and what I found is the hardest part is not delegating your weaknesses. To me, that's pretty easy. Like, I don't know how to do bookkeeping. I don't want to do bookkeeping. I'm going to give that away. To me, people say, well, what do you delegate? I say, you delegate your weaknesses first, you delegate your strength second, Mm. and then you only do what you can do. And people have a very hard time delegating their strengths strengths. more than their weaknesses. Absolutely. And what I've found is that most most companies are the weakest where their CEO is the strongest. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. So um, for me, I can sell. 
I'm not good at marketing. I had to learn marketing. I'm not naturally good. I'm not good at technical, but I know how to sell. Mm -hmm. And so for me to step back and allow these guys to be, you know, we have three people in the sales department now that are selling all the time and allow them to just figure it out and fail and all that stuff is really difficult for me to watch. Um, It's really difficult for me not to come in and be Superman and try to save the day when it says a low month. It's really difficult for me to do that. But, um, you know, I feel like that the best thing we can do for the organization is to have strength across all functions. And that's not who I am. I don't know if that is that practical enough. No, it's totally practical. And I think one thing you pointed out about being Superman is a lot of CEOs, and I'll put myself. In yeah, the and I've done it. It's a bit validating, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes you build something, yeah. and it doesn't need you, and you don't feel needed, and that's a weird feeling too weird that you've got to get used to. And so to be able to step in and offer value, it's like okay, yeah, yeah. you know. And sometimes I've seen entrepreneurs create chaos so they can step. That's in what and I save did. The day. Okay. So I was really bad at that. I was really, really bad at that. So, um, Les McEwen, you came over and listened to his thing. Okay, so Les was my coach, and Les gave me the title, and this was back, let's say, six years ago. He said, Casey, you're what what I call a visionary arsonist. Mm. (laughs) He said, you got great vision, but you have great vision for everything. And so when you see an opportunity, you see an opportunity in everything. And when you see a problem, you want to solve it. And he's like, that's fine when you're creating a new business or you're trying to find something to do. But when you have one that's already running, he's like, quit screwing around with it. And I would just create chaos and I would create um, a a lot of um, just... I guess turmoil in the business so that we could rally the troops and like band together and say, let's do it guys and all this kind of stuff. But really at the end of the day is that I wanted to come in there and subconsciously I wanted to just be in the mix. I wanted to solve problems mm-hmm. because that's what I got into business to do. But I realized over time what entrepreneurs need, they don't need to do that in their business if it's working. They just need a sandbox outside of their business. And so a visionary sandbox is where I play now and I'll leave it alone. <laughs> you, if you ask everybody here, the people, we have like seven people that were at my last company that are here mm-hmm. and they would say he's totally different in that way. Well, what a great skill to learn because it enables you to double down on your strengths and provide what only you can provide because sitting around and thinking about the future and planning and having Q4 priorities, like that's not common. I mean, there's most founder CEOs that I know are, you know, nose to the grindstone, checking their own email, you know, in the minutia, trying so hard to create days they can set aside to think. Got it. And it doesn't happen. So I respect that very much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So what's different about the fourth go around. Do you approach this company? I mean, you just talked oh, yeah. about your role's different, but the way you think about it, um, I'm not gonna put words in your mouth. What's different the fourth time around? Um, after I sold the rocket company, which the other ones I sold and made some money, but it was not like life-changing money. I mean, it's good money, but not life-changing. That one was life-changing. And uh, I went through hell for 14 months. I mean, it was a personal hell. Uh, my wife, Casey, um, you know, she didn't like me. Um, we were really in a miserable point in our marriage, um, counseling every single week, um, full on, like, how's this going to work? How are we going to work? Um, every day during that time period felt like an eternity. And used to days would fly by, but how is it five o'clock? Yep. And it flipped on me. And it was like, I was the guy looking at the clock going, it's 12 o'clock and I'm miserable. Mm. And it, I've got four more hours to kind of make up some stuff that I'm trying to do and I don't know what to do. Like, it was just a miserable existence for me. And I tell you that to say, and if somebody's listening for encouragement, everybody always talks about, well, we did this and all that. Listen, I've been through hell. <laughs> 
personally. And that hell was, you've got money in the bank, and everybody's, te- the worst hell is like, everybody's looking at you saying, you should be the happiest person on earth. Oh, man. And you're not. Yeah. And I don't know why. Everything you worked for. Everything that you wanted, and I got it. And I hated my life, I hated myself, and I was just miserable. And it put me through a ringer of, uh, it was a desert season for me. And what happened in that season, some people appeared, and, and one of them was Ken Polk's executive coach, um, who's now my coach. His name's Joe Judge, and Joe is, uh, we call him the Holy Spirit of Gravy. <laughs> <laughs> Ken was on the, uh, the uh, this show maybe 10 or so episodes ago. Okay, so. well, um, anyway, he helped. I, I know this is a long answer, but it matters to me. No, it sounds uh, Keep going with it. The first thing I did with Joe, he made me get, literally it was five hours of telling my entire life story of every memory I could ever remember. Like, and he, I spent a month remembering every remember, memory I could probably, even if it's stupid, like I was eating a, you know, popcorn at a movie and I remember watching, you know, Dumb and Dumber when I was in high school, like any memory. So I did that for five hours. At the end of the first day, I was 36 years old. I had millions of dollars. And Joe Judge looks at me and he says, it's interesting. He sh- turns over a piece of paper and he says, so essentially the first 36 years of your life has just been about you. Wow. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm glad I paid you eight grand for, for, for day one. And I remember calling Ken on the way home who said, man, this guy's like, but he was right. And even in my, I want to be about other people, and even in like providing income and stuff, everything I did was I was running from something, and I felt like it was fear that was pushing me and keeping me going. And every, that's why, and I got all of my validation out of people at the old companies, like just being, just being there, mm-hmm. and them, and that, that I could provide for them. And that's why I worked so hard because I have all these mouths to and all this stuff. And essentially, I was just being God. Yep. So I was just so. So the learning was. I spent all these these years, the first three ventures, and I didn't know I was doing this. I was just operating. Absolutely. You know? And I was essentially, I think what I was trying to do when I've really drilled down is I was trying to prove to, to my family that I could do it. I didn't know that, mm-hmm. but I was just trying to prove I could be somebody. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you do that and your wife doesn't like you and it doesn't matter. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> so, so that happened. I went through that season, and you can ask her whatever you want to ask her, go back or forward with that. But but how we approach this one different is is in all of those, I didn't have what's called an owner intent nailed down, and I never heard that term before. And owner intent is what is your intention as the owner of the business, and why do you actually want to spend your time doing this, and what are you hoping to get out of it? Not so because I, I had goals, I didn't have intention. Mm-hmm. These are two totally different things. So I spent about eight weeks developing the ne- before I even knew what I was going to have next. The next business I have, my intention of that business is to build a is to build a world class organization that I would want my kids to work at one day if they so chose to. Mm. That that's the filter through which. And so as we started building gravy, the difference is this isn't like, let's just start this thing up and see what happens and see what opportunities are. There is a, I am thinking in a generational way, not saying this is a hundred year Coke company. That's not what I'm saying. But every decision we make is rooted in not how do we make money next month or not what can we do to cut an expense so that we get profit. It's what can we do to build a company that if my kid was 28 years old and came home and said, dad, let me tell you about the company I work for. Here's what they do for me. Here's the opportunities they provide. Here's the leadership that they have. 
I'm, I'm being developed as a, as a human, you know, all those kind of things. What would that be? And so that's how we're trying to build this, which is different for me. And so we're so focused. Um, we've only had one idea and we just keep doing it over and over again and we're building to scale. And uh, now I don't think it's all about money. I think it's about human flourishment. And when I look at the 33 people that we have, my favorite that we have not lost one person that we haven't let go. Wow. In two years. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty good. That is good. And Especially in the startup phase. It's, it's, it's carnage. It's carnage. And this is a long answer, though, to say my, what I, my currency now is seeing the stay-at-home mom that didn't know that there was a place that she could work from home. And she's in Nashville, Tennessee. She's sitting right next door. And she's volunteering at church, leading 500 volunteers at church like it's nothing. But she just does that on the side. Mm-hmm. She has no idea that there's a company like this that she could do what she does, leverage her skill sets. She comes in now and she leads the whole back end of our entire business. And she's going, I'm more alive than I ever have been. I feel like I'm invested as a leader and I'm so great. What's next? That's my payoff. Mm. So I just yeah. want a bunch of those. That's awesome. It's different now. Does that yeah, make sense? It makes total sense. I'm sorry and for so, the long story. No, I think it's good. And so I, I guess if we're feeling in the gaps, yeah, that provides purpose. The days are flying again. You're not oh, in a state gosh. of why do I exist? Yeah, like, and so you were able to take that. You got pinged about it's been all about you. I and did. You've kind of reverse engineered. I've of, tried. Yeah. How do I how do I serve those that are helping me grow this business? Yeah. yeah. And, and it's and I won't be perfect at it. And I still get pissed. And I still do. <laughs> you know, I still have bad habits. I still do all that stuff. But I think if you cut me open at the end of the day and you said. Why do you show up with passion? I don't care about getting another payoff, right? So I could live for 22 years on what we have without making another dollar, Mm. okay? Mm -hmm. So I don't need the money, but what I do need is the stories. I, I, I love the stories of people. I love the stories of customers. It's like you. It's what you do. Mm-hmm. When you see somebody come in, I know it, it, it can't be old for you. The guy comes Never in, he's overweight. Old. He makes a decision. He it's over six months, and his whole entire life's changed. It's the same thing for us, except it's not with you know fitness. It's just with with, with their purpose. And I like how you call it currency. That's a right? currency because you know we're so quick to just den- denote that to money, mm-hmm. but that's an actual currency because it gives you juice. It it's gives purpose. you energy. It's purpose. All right, so you've got a bunch going on, mm-hmm. scaled to thirty-three employees in the last two years. I can tell you from purely yeah. outside looking in, watching yeah. on Instagram, it's impressive the culture. Yeah. Uh, not only did I get greeted by <laughs> probably the most remarkable greeting I've ever received walking into an office, and I won't do it justice. I don't. What was that that you shot? When confetti I cannons. Confetti cannons. The entire team there rec- uh, recognized me, and I'd seen that on Instagram, but completely forgot. So I should have known that that's what I was walking into. (laughs) But what I was going to say is I've seen you, I don't know if this is your third or your fourth, maybe second, I don't know, where you've taken the entire team away. Oh, yeah. To, I think y'all just went to Nashville. Nashville. And... I got to be honest. I look at that as a CEO, and like I know what that costs—the oh, investment, uh, everybody away from work—and I'm like, you're only two years in, so I see you doing extremely intentional things mm-hmm. to breed this culture. You're not just talking it; like you're doing it. I, yeah, I mean, my thing is, what if you don't take them away? Like, so people are like, well, well, how much does that cost? I'm like, well, how much does it cost if you don't? Mm. <laughs> like, how much to, to pull people away for two and a half days? And take them to a place and, and put them into 
a, a visionary environment where we create our own conference that feels like literally a Tony Robbins event and everybody's honored and we celebrate core values and we do all of that kind of stuff. And if you went and talked to anybody around here, they're not here for the paycheck. They will tell you, I, uh, most of our people were stay at home moms that don't have to work, but they're like, I just want to be around. Mm. And I'm like, that's, that's what we're building. That's what I want to build. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a investment, but it's more of an investment to, to me. It's more of a drain to not like that's if a great I, way to look at well, it. if I had to replace, let's say if we had to replace three people over the last two years that were key people mm-hmm. that were, are working with our clients and have to turn over. And then when you have people working your clients and they turn over, then your clients turn over. It's like, no, 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 no. This is like, uh, we have to do this and I am, we're committed to doing it. We do it biannually mm-hmm. and, um, uh, it's usually two nights and, uh, we so make this it. this is your fourth? This was our, nope, this was our third. Okay. Yep. Well, again, impressive uh, from the beginning because a lot of times you wait, well, when we're established. We've never and, had the money. Yeah. We've always got to make it happen. we never had the money. But um, the I, I, again, ask the question, what would I want my kids to experience? Mm-hmm. You know? And it wouldn't be a boss that's like, because you're work, away from work being trained as a, because I go get trained as a leader. I buy expensive programs. I do all this stuff. Why can't they do it? Mm-hmm. You know? And that's, again, our business, it's different. Like if people are showing up to your gym every, like that's, a, there's every business can't just have people leave. Right. But uh, for us, it's a, it's a priority. Well, I love the way you flip that. So I'm going to uh, transition now. Good. Because what I want to talk about is mm-hmm. how do you have it all? You know, how can you build a successful, thriving business, have an exit if you so choose sure. or not, yeah. uh, but not lose your body, not lose yeah. the relationships that are most important to you and balance yeah. kids and wife and ultimately not lose your connection with God. Because it's really easy to sell all those things out and really focus on just building, building, building. Mm-hmm. So let's start with body. Yep. And you and I have connected a lot sure. about this over the years. Um, talk about what do you do? Uh, what are your rhythms mm-hmm. inside, you know, taking care of yourself? and how that helps you be more effective at work. Yeah, well, I don't look like you. <laughs> That's first. But um, I do. I work out five days a week. Okay. I work out at noon. Um, my rhythm at noon, I've tried every other thing. I've tried five. I've done 5 a.m. I've done 9.30. I've done noon. I've done 4.30 p.m. I've done it all. I keep coming back to noon mm-hmm. just over the last three or four years. Um, and I call it, I go flush the toilet. <laughs> I get two mornings because I work out at noon. Yep. So I get a morning in the morning. I go work out. I flush that toilet, get a quick lunch, and I feel like I'm back, and I get another morning. Because mm-hmm. most people are getting sluggish in the afternoon and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I just yep. – I don't experience that. I do get a sluggish period before dinner sometimes when I get home and I'm just letting down. Um, and I have to watch that because I can't just go home and let down, you know. That's an energy switch. Uh, but um, that's what I do for working out. Um I, uh, my eating compared to five years ago is completely different. Um, I don't do supplements. I know I should. Uh, I don't do any of that kind of stuff. But um, diet, you know, I'm not blowing it out all the time. You know what I mean? But I'll still, we still go, my wife and I love to go get wings at this local place and we'll go, we'll go crush some wings. Um, but, but where I was five, six years ago was just eating whatever, whenever going, well, why is this running not helping me? And I still feel bad. Right. And it was just, I was totally not uh, taking care of my body. Um, I go to bed about, um, 
on average on weeknights from say Sunday night to Thursday night, on average is probably 10, 15, 10, 30 is when we go to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, we go to bed together. If there's 10 nights, there'd be one that we didn't. Um, but um, we try to go to bed together um, if possible. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big deal. You know, I used to stay up late and work, um, and I wasn't working. That's bull crap. Like, yep. you're not working at uh, – people say, I'm working. Yeah, you may say you're working, but you're not getting anything done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, may, okay, I'm judging people. <laughs> I'm sorry. You may be getting something done, but what you're not getting done is being in the bed with your spouse if you're married. Yep. <laughs> so, Which is way more important. <laughs> right. So, anyway, that's some of my uh, health rhythms. You can ask any question about it you want. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, everyone I've had on the show has a routine when it comes to fitness. Every single person. Really? You're the first one that's been a noon workout guy. Really? Had a lot of mornings, a few afternoons. Uh, but I get that. I'm a noon and guy. I, yeah, and I totally understand the two parts of the day. It do you have like noon classes? Do y'all do noon? We do. Okay. Yeah, we, and they're actually really popular. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. Do you eat once before? Twice. Or twice. Okay. Yeah. I ate a breakfast and a snack. Yeah. So I'll go breakfast. Somewhere around 10, 10.30? Yeah. Sometimes yeah. It, it depends. If I'm in a meeting, it may be... Well, 11.30, I'm hitting a you know a protein bar, headed to the gym mm-hmm. or uh, that kind of thing. And then I eat right after. Um, I usually always eat, not always, but 90% of the time I'm going to eat a lean meat on a salad, you know, that kind of thing. I'm staying away from the, the breads were killing me. Mm-hmm. And I still eat bread. Yep. I, I don't want people to think I'm not some health nut. Sure. But it, it's on my mind every day. And every time I go eat something, I'm thinking about Okay, if I crushed pizza at lunch, I'm going to feel awful. <laughs> so don't do it, right? And so five to six years ago, you mentioned you were running only. So you oh, yeah. started lifting I was marathoners. Weights. Marathon. Okay, and your group I had fitness, no, CrossFit, I had, is yep. that what you're still doing? Yep, CrossFit. Okay. I had no, yeah, I was a marathoner, um, but, and I had zero, um, zero muscle. I mean, literally zero. <laughs> so, um I, when I started working out at CrossFit, I gained 17 pounds, which was alarming to me mm-hmm. until they put me on the, in the scanner and the body fat thing, and I realized I'd gained 13 of muscle, and I gained four of fat, and then now I'm constant. Like, right now, I'm on a kick, and I'm like, all right, I got to cut. Got a little bit out of control in the summer on the boat, you know, all that kind of stuff, and out on the lake and not caring, and now I'm just I'm trimming back down. Okay, so Which what is about- usually a 10-pound trim yeah you know for me i do the same thing believe it or not yeah um so what about that rhythm having that discipline every day how does that make you more effective at work well when i don't do it i'm a i'm a mental i'm in mental chaos um i can't think um i am stressed dude you know the body better than i don't Mm -hmm. is it is it literally if I didn't work out for a week, my stress level is literally – I don't know if it's mental or is that is that real? No, it's physiological. Because I literally feel like if I don't work out, I am just – I'm just a worse <laughs> – I'm a worse human being to be around. I mean, do you ever wonder, like, how do people make it who don't? All the time. My I wife and I talk it. about it all the time. I don't get it. And, you know, even when we're on vacation, we, we go, and it, it may not be the biggest thing, but we go move. Yep. And, and and it does something. So so 
when I don't do it, I'm stressed. When I'm stressed, I, I get under pressure. I start being fear-driven. I, I will eat bad. I'll drink more. I will do all of the bad things. It all compounds, right? Compounds. And it starts usually with a missed workout. It starts with a missed workout. <laughs> it does. Okay, and cool. uh, yeah, so that so for me, for me, it's more about that. And then when I am in my rhythm, I'm the I'm just simply the better version of myself. Well said, well said. All right, let's transition to balance. You said you've been married 15 years to Casey, mm-hmm. two kids, 12 and eight. Um, you know, one thing I always like to talk about, like, what does it mean? You mentioned it. What does it mean to be the most effective CEO at Gravy if things are falling apart at home? So That's right. talk about, and y'all obviously been through a tough season, as most sure. of us have. Talk about, um, you know, just what your marriage, you as father, like yep. rhythms, what that looks like, how you're able to safeguard that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this or not, <laughs> but to me, it's easier almost to be a, a, a dad than it is to be a spouse. Like, um, I just naturally, um, something about your kids, I, I'm not saying everybody's that way, but for me, um, it's just, I've naturally wanted to connect with my kids, put them to bed. I've naturally wanted to do this. I'm not saying I'm the dad of the year or this and the other, but... Um, like I just really enjoy being with my kids, mm-hmm. right? Um, the spouse part, um, you know, everybody has a different journey and a different story. But for me, the decision to be intentional there is harder as your kids, because your kids start consuming a lot of the marriage, right? Mm-hmm. And, and again, I'm not trying to say this is everybody else's, but for us, the kids start consuming the marriage. Absolutely. And when I say they consume the marriage, it's not necessarily even time. But when you have a kid, six months after we had our first kid, I thought we were going to get a divorce. And it wasn't that anything was bad. It's just that now Casey was paying attention to a kid. And I was, and I'm like, life's about me. Yeah. Hey, where am I? You know, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> our rank over here. That's right. And so that's the, I say this to say, I'm going to share some things that we do, but we're not perfect. And I just want everybody to know that Absolutely. listening. And I want everybody Understood. to know that we've had tough seasons and ups and downs. We're in a good season right now, which is way better. <laughs> um, what did you ask? Well, some I rhythms. Can, some like, rhythms. All right. Are you a date night guy? Are, so, you know, one, once a week, do you guys So let's go with our calendar. Trips? Yeah. We are calendar. We do the same thing every year. Okay. Okay. Um, every year we take a two to three week vacation with our family. And when our kids were young, we took a babysitter with us and we go um, out of the country 90% of the time. This summer we did Greece. We've done Italy. We've done um, the Caribbean. We've done some cruise stuff. Like we, we leave. Um, some of our favorite times together as a family. Um, it is a pause for me. I don't work. Um, a little different than most. Se- I don't. I'm not good at working on vacation. I'm not good at working at home. Mm-hmm. Like, because I don't have a computer, I don't know what to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. No, I can I can be preoccupied in my mind, and I can be worried and stressed, but I don't, like, do stuff, so I don't have anything to do, so I can't justify sitting on a computer I don't have. So I don't have that struggle. So we do summer. Um, we do, uh, with my kids, um, we do an annual daddy-daughter trip and an annual daddy-son trip. Okay. Love it. Learn this from uh, Brad Martineau, mutual friend. Yeah. And uh, here's the rules. is that It's got to be somewhere we've never been before. It's got to be on an airplane, and it's got to be somewhere we don't know anybody. I saw you post that on uh, social yeah. media on your last trip. I remember that. That's awesome. Yeah, so, and, and they pick. They All right, pick. say that again. It's got to be on an airplane. Yep. Somewhere you've never been. Never been. And where you know Where we nobody. don't know anybody. And where we've never been. Me, I mean, if I've been to Orlando, yes, we can go. But Give it, me a couple examples. Where have you all been? Um, Bahamas, Atlantis with my son. 
um, was supposed to go to Rio de Janeiro with my daughter that she picked. However, I didn't know that you need a visa. Oh. And so we got diverted to Cancun. <laughs> she <laughs> well, was, you still ended up in a pretty good... I know, but she was not happy. Um, so then um, we've done, we just did L.A. because my son loves like LeBron. Mm-hmm. And so we did L.A. last year. So he picked L.A. He's wanted to go to L.A. for some reason. Um, my daughter loves history. So she said Boston one time. So we did Boston. Um, so those are, those are some cool. of the... Yeah, some of the things. Okay. Well, then what about like on a weekly basis? Um, weekly basis... Um, my wife and I, we just started talking. We, we, for 80% of our marriage, we've had a date night mm-hmm. on a weekly basis. Um, we have struggled with that as our kids have gotten more into more activities. Yep. Um, bad excuse. Um, but we've struggled with that over the past couple of months. But that is us going on dates is a is a staple. And my assistant, Erin, actually runs that calendar and actually will be able to look out in advance. And she literally plans out. She'll say, here's like, do you want to go? Do y'all want to go eat and do this or whatever? Because Erin knows everything in Atlanta. And so she'll literally do Now we can pivot off that if we want to. Obviously, it's not that structure. It's just so that. We always have somewhere new to go, and there's always something. So she manages that calendar for me. Is she me. planning babysitter, or do y'all not need it? We have well. Casey. Casey plans a babysitter. Okay. Yeah. So my wife, she does that. So she'll plan the babysitter. Um, we do an annual um, um, anniversary trip that we've always done with just Casey and I. So okay. we get away. Uh, that's usually four to five nights away. Even when we had little kids, we did that. Uh, this year we're going. We got invited to the Marine Ball in Vegas um, cool. with, with some friends, so we'll do that for a little bit, and then we'll break away and then go like Grand Canyon, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So we have a, and then we go skiing in the in the in the winter. Um, we do a, a friend trip, which a lot of people don't do. So we do an annual friend Christmas trip with our best friends, and every year we go celebrate Christmas with our friends before Christmas, and we take a we'll take a trip to um, we've done New York or we've done Asheville, just driving distance three hours to Nashville, and we'll go take two to three nights, and we just go with our best friend family, and it's an annual tradition that we do as well. So this is the kids, everybody, everybody, or just everybody, yeah, yeah okay. everybody, everybody, um, and that's your friend, something Louis LaVoy. and Lindsay, yeah, Lavoy, yeah, I see it on yeah, social media, yeah. very cool, man. That, that's exactly the type of thing that I want to hear. I mean, this did you granular like what does it look like? Because it's so easy to say, yeah, family's important, I value it, huh. but to lock this into your calendar every year shows your commitment. Shows and your Sunday morning, that, I fish with my son. Okay, so uh, my my wife and daughter volunteer at the early service, and so we live on a pond, and so again, if it's not crazy. Rainer. And if, if it's that, then we go to Waffle House. So I have a date, I have a weekly date with him. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, that's a big deal for us. Yeah. And we do it. So I think our, my kids can say a lot of things later in counseling about how I messed them up, but it's not going to be from uh, the amount of deposits from a, from a, from a scheduled time perspective. Yeah. Man, I'm taking I'm taking notes for myself right now. This <laughs> yeah, but you got to pay for more people than me. <laughs> yes, I do. Talking about schedules for it gets oh, really crazy. All right, so let's transition to our final B. We yep. talked about business, talked about body, talked yep. about balance. Let's talk about being. Okay. You mentioned early on, yeah. like your first job was yeah. in ministry. Yeah. Um, what I've learned over the years is there's really no separation between the no. sacred and the secular. Yeah. And easy to say that, but when you really live it, it just opens up that everything we do is is ministry, but talk about your relationship with Christ, how that kind of undergirds everything you do. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, obviously, same as you. Did you grow up in Birmingham? I did. Okay. 
So everybody goes to church, right? Mm-hmm. Or everybody has an affiliate. So I had some Baptist affiliation when I was little. Um, went to some VB at vacation Bible school and got dunked when I was seven because they said, do you want to go to hell? No. Well, then you get baptized. But I had no real relationship, no relationship with God until um, 17. And uh, Ken Polk actually taught me how to play the guitar. Okay. And so because of that, I got into a band and my band started playing at church. And so at, at six, is it 16, I had a, uh, a transformation. I mean, it was a, a pretty radical transformation. And uh, the reason I go back and share that was, and again, I'm not a theologian, but my first transformation, Jesus did do something in my heart and life, but really I transformed to religion. Hmm. I, I went from being beer drinking, crazy high school kid to wearing a suit in a week. And that was the separation between my public religion and my private life. Hmm. And it was the worst thing I could have ever done because it created um, a lack of integrity, um, even in my relationship with God, of like that I had this thing on the surface that I had to live up to because all of a sudden now I'm this proclaimed Christian. Mm -hmm. But underneath the surface, you know, nothing just changed. I mean, things can change, but, you know, old habits die hard kind of thing. And so um, there was that thing to religion. So that was my first, uh, I think, uh, what I call part of my relationship. And yes, I love Jesus. And yes, I was trying my hardest. And yes, I know there was grace even in that. Yep. At the same time, uh, that's what that was. And then when I came over here to start the church, so about five years later, my transition was to church. So my first my first, my first, first thing in, in, with, with Jesus was, okay, I'm going to do religion. And I think that's going to make me right with you, right? Mm. And then it was church. And so I'm going to be a part of a church. And I didn't do any of this. I didn't like wake up one day and say, you know what? This is what I'm going to do to get, you know, my validation from Jesus. <laughs> um, but that helping start the church and everything was about church at that point. Church, church, church. Like everything was church. My life was church. My work was church. My paycheck was church. Everything was church. Did that for, for a period of time. And then when I went to start business and be in business, uh, I got really roasted by a lot of people that were in that um, organization and so other people that I'd like forsaken my calling mm. and that I wasn't in the ministry anymore. And even people back home in Birmingham I went to high school with saying like, I can't believe Casey's out of the ministry. Mm. What happened? Like, why is he, you know, and so I struggled big time, um, especially cause the business that I was running at that time was in the church space. Mm-hmm. And so I felt lost for a little bit. And then as I went through this desert season, you know, the, the calling, I think the third and final, I hope, thing for me was just back to just Jesus. Mm. <laughs> just pure relationship. Pure relationship. Fully loved, fully accepted. As much as I look at my sin, I look at the cross. Mm. <laughs> all of that, all in one. And the hardest thing for me to realize was I cannot receive love from somebody that I don't fully trust. And I didn't fully trust Jesus, because I wanted to be in control. Mm-hmm. And I could trust myself to go out and do something and distract myself. But when I was left all alone with nothing to do in a Starbucks at 10 a.m., four weeks in a row, and there's nobody there and I'm by myself, it's like, all right, what you got? And I didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a bank account, but I didn't have Jesus. And again, I don't know how this works in a theological framework, but this, that's, that's what my journey has been. 
And then from that, um, now today, currently, you know, I'm in a group called Radical Mentoring. Um, it's a group of, of men, CEOs that meet in Atlanta. Maybe similar, similar to some of the stuff you do. We do retreats twice a year. I just had lunch today with one of the guys from the groups going through a tough time in his marriage, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I stay connected in, in a group of men. Um, very important for me. Yes. Um, going to church is a no-brainer and easy for us. Love tithing, love giving, love serving, all that kind of stuff. But 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 something about that that's not enough. That that's just that's like bare minimum for yeah, me. That's your start. It's a start. Yeah. And so, so it I sounds believe, like Jesus used pain in your life to draw you to himself, which is my story, which is really all of our stories. Mm. We like to say we, we learn on the mountaintop, but we really learn in the valley. Mm. That was your experience. Oh, dude. I mean, and it was to learn how to trust him. Mm -hmm. And then once I could trust him when I didn't, when I, when I didn't like myself and I didn't like where I was in life and I still, and even in that moment where I felt completely loved no matter what, that was like, that's different. For me, that's different. That was like a soul level, I'm accepted and I'm loved no matter what. And I'd never felt that before, even in being a pastor in a church. Well, I love, I'm, I'm hearing this for the first time. It's filling me up. I mean, that's yeah. that's awesome. I'm so thankful yeah. to you know hear that that's where you are and that's what. But God maintaining did. it's hard, still hard. I mean, totally. that's a daily. You know, yeah. I got my journal. I got my, I, you know, devotions, and I try different things. And I've, I, I do all these different things, and, and and I circle back around, and then I journal forever, and then I get off of it, and then I come back, and so definitely on a journey. It's not this cut and dry thing, um, but. Um, I feel loved and accepted by Jesus. What's better than that? <laughs> no matter what, <laughs> which is hard, which is hard for a lot of people to, under, to, to, to experience. Yeah, it is because we can't get, we can't forgive ourselves, especially when we're trying to work our way there. That's to right. Work to that acceptance. That's right. And that was no me. matter what. And that was that me. Looks like. That's right. Yep. So yes. All right. So one thing we didn't touch on that I don't want to yep. miss before we step away is uh, we talked about a lot of routines, but not your morning routine. So you're not a workout guy, or do you yep. get up super early? You mentioned journaling. Is yep. there a quiet time involved? Like what? Is, what do your mornings look like? It's yep. So there's the school year routine and then there's the nine mm -hmm. kids in school routine mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm gonna give you the school year because we're in it right now wake up at 6 a.m. Um, I get ready um, Casey gets the kids or well, one kid up now um, and I get ready get stuff um, I will get a protein bar to hold me over till breakfast so I'll just eat that and then go and then I'll go eat breakfast um, I take my kid to school every day, so I take Gage to school. Um, was Gage in Darby, she's now in middle school, so it's different. Um, so I take him to school. After I leave there, I come to Starbucks, and um, every morning I'll go to Starbucks, and at Starbucks is when I journal, uh, it's when I read, it's when I do devotions, leadership development, any, any of the reading, learning, journal, that's when I write. So I have a period of time, so it's just blank space. So every day I have blank so space. So I gotta ask, mm -hmm. when you write, mm -hmm. you're not typing into a computer. No, I'm you're writing phone. into a journal. Oh, into your phone. Into okay. my phone, like a note app. Or yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So a medium now. That's what I use. Okay. So and nobody reads my stuff, but I write because that th my team reads it. Okay. Uh, but I write because it get, it's it's like a it's like a same thing as working out for me. Mm -hmm. It just gets it out of my system, and I can see things more clearly, and I can get my thoughts out and build frameworks and systems, and I have new ideas come from just me writing all the time. So I write two to three articles a day. Okay on my phone uh, but I do that in the morning so that's my morning routine it's not anything spectacular 
Um, I drink coffee in the shower. People think that's weird. <laughs> I was going to ask, what is your drink of choice <laughs> at Starbucks? Uh, just buy coffee. Uh, I am too. But have you tried the new cold brew? Yeah. It's pretty. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I, I was I just, driving over to the land of this morning like, I'm getting a cold, cold brew. brew. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think it's pretty remarkable, actually, because I think I've had 30 very, what I would consider very successful, well-rounded entrepreneurs on this show. Mm-hmm. You're either the first, maybe the second, who says you take your kids to school every day. Oh, yeah. That has not been a part of most guys' morning routine. It's not mine. But has that always been yeah. a priority from, yeah. from the beginning? Yeah. So I just, um, even when we just had one in school, like I just, there's something about taking them to school. Like, yep. it's a small deposit. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we talk a lot. Sometimes we listen to music. There's not like this major thing. But I just think it says something when it's like busy CEO dad, right? I'm saying later in life to them. Mm -hmm. This may not work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But even though he had all that going on, he took me to school every day. Yeah. Just a little bit over a long period of time. And that's what I'm trying to do. Love it, man. You've been an inspiration. And I don't know if it's going to work. That's why I keep, I'd say don't follow my instructions. (laughs) Well, it's an encouragement to me. I really appreciate you letting me hop in your office, use your podcast equipment, have you on the show. I've been wanting to do it for a while. So thanks again for being on. If someone wanted to follow you, because you put some great stuff on Instagram. Just Casey Graham. It's just my name, C-A-S-E-Y-G-R-A-H-A-M. And uh, hit me up and say that you uh, found me on the show. Yeah, and he doesn't just put out the random memes that everybody's swiping from each other. Like, you put <laughs> some good, and that maybe that's what you write. Every day. Part of, yep. Yeah, that's where it's coming like, from. Your stories are really uh, engaging. So, anyway, yeah. thanks for being on, Casey. Really appreciate thanks it. Thanks for us.